It's called the black man is God. It's called the black man is God. Next hour. This is for the children. You know what I'm saying? I got this idea from myself, of course. But this is for the children. I got this prediction. This will be the biggest upset in all of fighting history. The easiest fight of my life. You think your cousin can with me? You really do? Anybody on your one? Anybody in my family? Last week's wild card slate of games was not that impressive. No, nah, not at all. But I think that sets up for a very, very memorable divisional round weekend. Yeah, I don't think anybody's going in and betting the house, betting the mortgage on uh, these four picks this weekend. No, because it could go either way. But no, these, you would these, lose your wife and your kids like, and everything else. It, you know, exactly. Exactly. Deed to your house, it, it'll all go up. Deed to your house, the dog, right? The fish, everything. <laughs> they want it all. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck trying to make yeah. these four games. Okay, 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 okay. I know what you're thinking. All right. I can admit this. I've had better days. I've had better days as a podcaster. Because <laughs> you know I'll be trying to nail these NFL playoff picks, y'all. It didn't quite work out as how I envisioned it last week. But I got a lot of thoughts on that, okay? And you know I came here to share them with you. So Jay Hicks is back again, the preseason podcast of the year. Is that, what is that, four consecutive weeks with a podcast? You guys got you guys are up to your ears in podcasts. But uh, I had to do it. I had to do it for the NFL playoffs. So we had to make some special accommodations to make sure that we got back at y'all. Um, so I appreciate y'all listening. I appreciate all of the feedback and support we've been getting. Um, you know where to find us, hiphopsportsupport.com. Twitter, Facebook, iTunes, etc. You already know where to get the get the content, y'all. So uh, I wanted to come back and talk about conference championship weekend, of course. Congratulations to the Cincinnati Bengals, Kansas City Chiefs, Los Angeles Rams, and San Francisco 49ers on advancing it on advancing this far. <laughs> we said last week that you guys heard it. We said last week that the wild card weekend was a letdown and it set up what was going to be a memorable divisional round of games. And everybody's pretty much been in agreement all week. That, that was the best divisional round that we've ever seen. I mean, those, those four games were beyond incredible. Um, all of which ending on the final play of the game, three of them ending on the last play being a field goal by the visiting team. Just really incredible stuff. I sat on this podcast last week with Vince Hicks and we agreed that all of these teams could win and all of these teams could lose. And that's what we got. We got four games that came down to the final play, which meant that they were all pretty much evenly matched. And any one of these eight teams could still be standing or not still be standing at this point. So we really shouldn't be um, too surprised at, at some of these outcomes. But it was really, really remarkable stuff to see the way the playoffs unfolded last week and so now we're down to four um one of these games looks to be like it could be a blowout another one looks like it could come down to the wire at least we know that there are um at least that's what the the odds makers are telling us speaking of let's look that up let's see what the odds are real quick so right now kansas city is a seven and a half point favorite over cincinnati the Rams, a three and a half point favorite over the 49ers. Uh, doesn't mean that that's how it's going to play out, but we have uh, kind of two different games there in terms of how people are perceiving that those are going to unfold. We're going to get into all that. Of course, I want to take a moment to go back to the divisional round and, and share a few thoughts like I always do. I ended up one and three on the weekend, y'all, and one and three against the spread. I wasn't thrilled about this. <laughs> so overall in the playoffs, I'm five and five overall and just four and six against the spread. Not my best work. Okay. I can I can admit that. I can be a big enough a big enough man to admit that. But 
good news is that I'm still 73 and 34 overall picking games on the history of the site. I'm now still I'm now 28 and 12 during the divisional round, so I'm normally pretty good in that round. And I'm 11 and 7 all time in the conference championship round. So I'll give you my picks a little bit later. But yeah, man, like five and five overall, and, and one in and, and four and six against the spread doesn't feel too great. But here's the deal: I'm pissed off, y'all. I'm mad. How is it that I went one and three on picks on the weekend, and I'm five and five overall? But of the six playoff games that were close games to this point, they were all pretty much decided on the final play. And I got five of those six games wrong. Like, think about it. Like, the the first was the Raiders and Bengals in the wildcard round. I had the Raiders. The Raiders had a chance to tie on a touchdown drive. They were first and goal inside the 10-yard line with a chance to tie. They, they scored a touchdown on that last drive, and they can easily force overtime or go for two for the win right there. That, that L flips to a W real quick. Then there was... The Dallas and forty, uh, the Dallas Cowboys and San Francisco 49ers game. So Dallas, I, I, I said San Francisco was the better team, but I kind of felt Dallas was gonna pull it out. They were driving to win the game at the end until Dak uh, decided to let the time run out. <laughs> yeah, so then there was that game came down to the wire, and that one went against me. And then this past weekend in the divisional round, come on, y'all. The Bengals scored a field goal on the final play of the game to beat Tennessee. I had Tennessee in that one. The Rams kicked the field goal to beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on the final play. I had the Bucs in that one. And the Chiefs scored a touchdown in overtime to beat the Bills, and I had the Bills in that one. This ain't right, y'all. I'm just trying to we need to right some wrongs here, okay? I mean, because this isn't this isn't this isn't acceptable. Okay. I, I'm I'm getting hosed by the football gods. Clearly. I know what I'm doing when it comes to picking these games, but they, I'm just, I just can't catch a break in these playoffs. There's been six close games, and I'm one in five in those six games. That's absurd. The one that I got right was the 49ers defeating the Packers, and although that happened on the last play as well, I feel like I can puff my chest out a little bit talking about that game, even though it's the only one that I got right last week. And even though it came down to the final play of the game, I feel like I can, you know, like uh, uh, peacock a little bit. You know what I'm saying? I can I can strut my stuff a little bit on that one prediction because that was the that, the Packers were the team that everybody had lifted up and said that they were the team to beat. They were everybody's Super Bowl favorite, everybody's NFC Championship favorite, everybody's MVP was that quarterback, and everybody said that the Packers were the team, and everybody else is basically playing for second place. Like I mean. That was the consensus from what I observed on on social media, on the national radio shows, on the national sports talk shows, the national columnists. All of them seem to have the Packers as the odds-on favorite. I picked them to lose in their first game to a sixth seed. So I think I deserve props for that. Forget the one and three stuff. Ignore that. Just pay attention to the one that I got right. Can you do that for me? Can you do me that solid, please? No? Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. You don't have to, I guess. But here's another thing that I noticed. For all the talk that we do about quarterbacks, and I'm I'm as guilty of it as anybody as much as I talk about Tom Brady, the defenses are what really dictated the outcomes of these games last weekend. Again, I picked the Bengals, the 49ers, the Buccaneers, and the Bills to advance last week. That means I had the Bengals, Packers, Rams, and Chiefs losing last week. And those four teams, all of them have a dominant receiver. If I asked you out there, America, whomever's listening, overseas, wherever, if I asked you guys to name the five receivers in the NFL that if you needed a 200-yard receiving game today... Who would you pick? You need you need 200 yards to save your life. What five receivers are you picking? You're probably picking Justin Jefferson of the Vikings. And then 
Jamar Chase, Devontae Adams, Cooper Cup, and Tyreek Hill in some order. Jefferson obviously has been at home for a minute. He's watching the playoffs at the crib right next to this Justin, all right? But Chase, Adams, Cup, and Hill all played last week, and I picked against all of their teams. The reason those receivers are great is because when the chips are down, you know that they can step up and make a play for you. You know that they have that boom potential to have a monster game and seemingly put the team on their back at a moment's notice. Seemingly take a play that looks like nothing and turn it into something. That's what these excellent receivers do. They all make their quarterbacks look great. Do we all, can we all agree that Stafford is pretty good, if not very good, and that Mahomes and Rodgers and Burrow are varying degrees of great? I think we can pretty much all agree with that. But they're all made to look that way by these excellent Excellent targets that each one of them have. When the chips are down, they look for these guys to win the game. And guess what happened? All these games came down to the final play, which means the chips were, in fact, on the floor. Okay? And what happened? What happened in each one of those games? The Bengals intercepted Ryan Tannehill With under a minute to go, they needed 17 yards to get into field goal range. Joe Burrow had one throw to make. And on first down, Joe Burrow drops back after having been sacked nine times in the game. He drops back and he finds Jamar Chase for a 19-yard pickup or an 18-yard pickup when he needed 17 to get in the field goal range. In the Rams and Buccaneers game on Sunday, the Bucs have this epic comeback, tie the game. The Rams have the ball now with under a minute to go. What happened? Who do they look for? I, text, I texted Vince Hicks, Kenneth Hicks, Mark Hicks, all the Hickses, and Mike, my cousin, other cousin Mike, all of them. We have a group text that we, um, we, we, we go in on, believe me, all day, every day, especially when the games are on. And I sent them a text. I said, Cooper Cup's about to get open somehow. That's what I said. Somehow. What happened? Stafford drops back on first down. Pauses a beat. Looks to his left. Finds Cooper Cup towards the sideline. First down. The next play. For some unknown reason still. The Buccaneers sent the house. Or at least attempted to send the house. Blitzing Stafford knowing that the only thing that they needed was a field goal to beat them. (laughs) They sent the house, and Cooper Cup gets man coverage with a safety and just runs right past Antoine Winfield Jr. Gets open, boom, makes the catch, kick up, good, game over. Maybe Tom Brady's career is over. I don't think so, but it's possible, right? What happened in the Chiefs game with the Bills? The Bills, who on paper had the best defense in the league statistically speaking had the best defense in the league I don't know if their defense was quite as good as they appeared to be across the board because Buffalo didn't play a gauntlet of great quarterbacks this season so they really didn't have to prove it week after week after week but on paper they were I think they were the best pass defense the best overall defense they were best third down defense I think they were the best red zone defense. The Bills had it across the boards. They had it on everybody. What happened? (laughs) The Chiefs needed multiple plays at the end of that classic against the Bills. Who did they go to, y'all? They threw it to number 10, right? Tyreek Hill is all over the field. They throw him a slant. He he hits the afterburners, makes a little wiggle. He's up the sideline and in the end zone. Buffalo comes back and scores. The Chiefs need to get the ball inside the field goal range inside 10 seconds, or inside 13 seconds, excuse me, to get the ball in field goal range. They needed to go about, what was it, about 35 yards, 37 yards to get in the field goal range. They went 44 yards in two plays. What happened? Who did they throw the ball to first? Tyreek Hill. Was he defended by anybody? No. (laughs) 
The guy was as, as open as 7-Eleven, like they used to call Chris Hogan back in the day. They throw him the ball. They threw, they threw Tyreek Hill the ball. He had two blockers in front of him immediately. They didn't guard anybody on the line, right? Tyreek Hill's open, boom, he runs 15 yards in two seconds. And then all of a sudden, now, now the second pass was to Kelsey. Kelsey caught the touchdown in overtime. But that further underscores the point. You know that the Rams have one guy that's going to beat you. You know that the Bengals have one guy that's going to beat you. You know that the Chiefs have two guys that's going to beat you. But, and you have to take out one of them. These defenses took out nobody. Jamar Chase, he, they, they went press man against Jamar Chase in that situation on Tennessee. He beat that boy off the line so bad, he didn't get a hand on him. And Jamar Chase runs a little out route 15 yards up the field, gets the first down right in the field goal range, 18 yards when he needed 17 in one play. Cooper Cup, man coverage, boom, shakes a receiver, shakes a defender, gets open, makes the catch, steps out of bounds. The next play, they don't even bother to guard him with a corner. He gets to run straight line past a flat-footed safety, albeit a very good safety, by a flat-footed safety, and he makes the catch in man coverage to send the defending champs home. Tyreek Hill, he gets man coverage, or I think I don't know, if, I don't even know if that was a zone or if it was man, but nobody was guarding him because he. Sh- I think it was I think it was man coverage, but he shook the he shook the dude. He, he ran a little skinny post. Made the catch. It was a slant even. It wasn't even a post, really. It was more of a slant route. Makes the catch. And again, up the sideline for six points. Went under two minutes to go. And then when they were in need to get in field goal range, with under thir- with 13 seconds to go, they don't even cover Tyreek Hill. And he makes the catch. And boom, he gets 19 yards. It, literally in like three, four seconds. The only team that had enough sense to stop the other team's dominant receiver was the only team that won last weekend, and that was the San Francisco 49ers. When Rodgers got the ball back, Aaron Rodgers got the ball back following that blocked punt, he had a, a I believe it was a third down play, and Rodgers dropped back and he chucked it deep. He bypassed the wide open Alan Lazard running underneath, and he went long to Devontae Adams for a big play. And it was incomplete. But the beautiful thing about that play was that Devontae Adams was double covered. The Niners actually double covered the one dude that could beat him. These other teams had varying degrees of man coverage and no coverage. Literally, literally no coverage against these epic playmakers. And that's why they're sitting at home on the couch with you and me. The Niners had enough sense to double Devontae Adams And they drew an incompletion and a punt. San Francisco got the ball back, went down the field and scored, and they're playing on Sunday. Do y'all see how this works? I wish I had enough football knowledge to sit in a room with these defensive coordinators and game planners across the league because I'm sitting on the couch every single Sunday and I'm watching these great players get open time and time again. We act like Bill Belichick is a genius because he takes away your strength. Like, oh, Belichick. I even said it last week. I thought that Mike Vrabel was going to do that with Jamar Chase because he came from the Belichick coaching tree. I thought that Vrabel had enough sense to remove Jamar Chase from the game. (laughs) Kicking and screaming. Get that guy the hell up out of here and make us make. I'm going to make you, Cincinnati, beat us without your best player going off. And they can't do it. I don't think it's a personnel thing. I think it's scheme most of the time. And these offensive coaches are scheming the pants off these defensive coordinators across the league because these guys who are adept at getting open, in fairness, tend to just get open whenever they feel like it. What do the Browns have? I'm a Browns fan. What do the Browns have to do to get a guy that can just get open whenever he feels like it? Because that's what Cooper Cup did. That's what Tyreek Hill did. That's what Jamar Chase did. And the only person who didn't was Devontae Adams and his team lost. And you know what's funny about Devontae Adams is that's how he beat the 49ers back in week three. 
the Niners took the lead on the Packers late in that game in week three. And Rodgers, I talked about it last week, he went down the field in three plays, and he looked at one guy, Adams. I I said it on the podcast. Go back and listen to it. I said he looked for Adams, Adams, Adams. There was a spike, and he threw it to Adams again. He had two plays to Adams. One was a sh- the first one was a, a big completion of about 30 yards, and then he had another shorter one of maybe about 15 yards. But those two completions alone were good enough to get the Packers in field goal range, and they kicked the field goal to win it on the road at the buzzer, just like the Bengals did, just like the Rams did. You know what I'm saying? Like this, I mean, we, we, we saw it. The 49ers lived it. And Kyle Shanahan and his defensive coaching staff were smart enough to say, okay, we got burned by Devontae Adams in week three. We're not going to let that happen again. We know Rodgers is going to lock in on Adams. We're going to take that away. And so as I sit here last weekend rooting desperately for my picks to be right so I can come on here and gloat to you guys, I'm over here getting robbed of my gloatness (laughs) and my goatness Because these defensive coordinators are not smart enough to double-team these receivers who are basically the only dude that can beat you at the end of the game. It's really bizarre. It's it's really bizarre, and I don't don't understand. Again, I wish I understood football better because I need to sit in the room with the defensive coordinator to say to me, nah, Justin, you got the game twisted, man. Like, this is what it is. The reason why you can't double these guys right here is this, this, that, and a third. Like, I need to hear that from somebody who's smarter – or knows more about football than I do. Because from where I sit, these defensive coaches are just failing miserably and it's costing their teams their season. Right? Devontae got doubled. He's at home. Cooper Cup got singled with a safety. He's moving on. Tyreek Hill wasn't really covered by anybody. He's playing this weekend. Jamar Chase shook a man, didn't even have to try that hard. <laughs> He's got 225 receiving yards in the playoffs, which is only 18 shy of the rookie record in two games. And yet, Tennessee didn't know to double that dude. He was the only skilled player that was really going off in that game against Tennessee, and they let him get open in one play to pick up 20 yards. He, I mean, he was wide open on that reception. So, like, we want to praise Burrow and these guys, and, and I get it. They're great, but, like, come on, yo. Like, where is the defense, please? So that was my big takeaway from last weekend was as great as those games were, that was wild to me, just watching those receivers get off like that. I should not be one and three in, in those games last week, y'all. If they had any sense, if those defensive coordinators had any sense, I'd be at least at least two and two. You know what I'm saying? To dive into the games more specifically, and we'll be I'll try to be brief on these. Tennessee and Cincinnati, y'all. Um, Ryan Tannehill literally threw the game to the Bengals. <laughs> I got a good friend, man, my man Chris Johnson. Not Chris Johnson, former Titans running back, but my other boy Chris. Uh, sent us a tweet at HHS Report. He's a Titans fan. He said the defense got nine sacks, hold Burrow to one TV, TD, turn him over. A.J. Brown gets 142 receiving yards, which is a Titans playoff record and a touchdown. Julio Jones caught 60 yards receiving, and they ran for 140 yards as a team as Derrick Henry came back. If you were to enter that into a computer, I don't know how it would spit out any outcome other than a Titans victory. And somehow they lost. It's, it's, it's crazy. Basically, Cincinnati just field goal them to death. Um, you know, Tannehill got picked on the first play and the last play. He just had an ugly performance overall. I really think they needed more Deontay Foreman. Um, Foreman had a great game. He, had a, he broke a long 35-yard run. And then on the next play, Tannehill's dropping back to pass again. And he got picked off again. It's just like, you know, how about you guys not try to throw the world on Derrick Henry's shoulder when his foot is still um, being held together by uh, duct tape, you know what I'm saying? Like, like why would you, why would you, why would you do that? Like, I don't, I don't. I thought they put a little too much on Derrick Henry's shoulders. Foreman has played well all year, played well in that game, and I didn't feel like Tennessee used him enough. And Tannehill clearly didn't have it. And then when they had to have it from him, he just couldn't deliver. Um. But, yeah, the game came down to that last interception and Burrow needing 17 yards in 20 seconds, and he hit Chase for 18 in one play. 
Um, there was no safety help on that play. And so you got to give it to the Titans, man. I, I thought Joe Burrow, who I'm a fan of, once again, was um, – he actually wasn't great in this game, but yet at the same time he was great in this game because the guy got sacked nine times, you know? I, I'm reminded of when uh, Tom Brady got knocked around against Denver in the AFC Championship game a few years back. They hit him like 20 times in that game. I believe it was a playoff record. And Brady still led the game-tying drive after the, the fourth down pass to Gronk for like a 30-yard pickup over the top, one of the best throws I've ever seen in my life. And then he ended up hitting Gronk for a touchdown. And then he needed the two-point conversion to tie to force overtime, and uh, the two-point conversion got intercepted. So uh, the comeback fell short. But the fact to see a quarterback get knocked around like that and still have the poise to hang in and deliver with the game on the line was impressive, even though Jamar Chase is wide open. Moving on to the Niners and the Packers. Again, I was pretty proud of myself that I got this one. <laughs> the, the, the ongoing argument all season between the Aaron Rodgers stands and the Tom Brady stands on social media has been something else if you've ever decided to wade into, the, into those waters. It's been entertaining. Um, I've seen it, and I mean, a lot of it, I mean, a lot of it stems from the fact that they're, they're two of the older quarterbacks in the league, and they're both Hall of Famers, and they're probably going to finish one and two in the MVP discussion. Uh, Rodgers is going to win it. As I've said, for, for three weeks in a row, he should not win it. Uh, I, I never believed that he was MVP. In fact, I told you guys uh, two, on the podcast two weeks ago, I said that if I had an MVP ballot, my, my hypothetical MVP ballot, Brady won, Cooper Cup two, Rodgers three. And I felt vindicated by that order based on what we saw last weekend. Because as I've said many times about the Packers, and as I've said many times about Rodgers, and I'm not the first person to make these observations, but when you get physical with them, when you push them around, and when you back them into a corner, and when you hand Rodgers and his team a little bit of adversity, those dudes fold, man. They fold. Nick Foles. <laughs> that's, that's what they do. They just fold up shot. I mean, I don't know what it is, man. Like, I can't exactly call it or describe it. They just, they just, they just fold, y'all. They just fold. Like, Rodgers, um, he had six minutes. There were six minutes left in the game. In the fourth quarter, six minutes to go. San Francisco had three points in that game with six minutes left. And Green Bay had just gotten a fourth down stop deep in their own territory. This game really should have been in the bag for the Packers. But in the fourth quarter, Green Bay had three drives. One of them was a long drive that started in the third quarter, ran into the fourth quarter, and stalled in the red zone, ended in a field goal. But that was like a, it was like a nine-minute drive. It was like an insanely long drive, long enough to where it's like, you know, if you have to take the three, you have to take the three. But it really stings to have a drive of that length end in just a field goal. And then there are two other drives after that. One of them was a three and out that resulted in a block punt. And then the touchdown, which is one of the most unbelievable plays that you'll see. I mean, obviously the way the, the way that that ball hung up in the air, I mean, everybody's heart stopped in that moment. I can't imagine being a Packers or Niners fan in that moment watching that. My heart jumped out of my chest watching that and watching the ball just hang and nobody knew where it was or where it was going to come down at. That was exhilarating. But that was a three and out. <laughs> and then after the block punt touchdown, the Packers get the ball back. And at this point, it was a tie game, tied at 10. With, what, under four minutes, under something like that? I think around four minutes to go. 
And the Packers go three and out again. With one of those being the aforementioned long bomb into double coverage to Devontae Adams play, where Rodgers, as you all well know by now, missed Alan Lazard wide open. And then that was it. They didn't touch the ball again. San Francisco held the ball for the rest of the game, went down and kicked the field goal as time expired. This is what happens far too often with Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. And I like Aaron Rodgers a lot. In fact, I've told many a person that I wouldn't, I'd get, I, what I wouldn't give to have Aaron Rodgers come to Cleveland and save the Browns from this horrific quarterback that has brainwashed the city of Cleveland into thinking that he's good. I would love it. I would, I'll, take, I'll sign up for Aaron Rodgers and all the baggage that comes with Aaron Rodgers. i sign up for it yesterday if it meant he was going to come to Cleveland. Having said that, when we get into these discussions about who Aaron Rodgers is on an all-time level, and when we compare him to the likes of Tom Brady, and people want to say that Rodgers is better than Tom Brady because he has a better TD to interception ratio in his career, and that Rodgers would have won more Super Bowls had he been in New England than Brady did, these are the lies that just have to stop. Because all we heard from the hardcore Aaron Rodgers people, if, if you were paying attention to this discussion, all we heard from the hardcore Rodgers people for the last 12 months was that he outplayed Brady in the NFC Championship game because Brady threw three interceptions in the second half and that the Packers' loss was on somebody else, anybody else but Aaron Rodgers. But here's the thing about Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. And I've, I've actually written a piece on Brady and Rodgers in the past on the website. Go check it out, hiphopsportsupport.com. The thing that people, people seem to fail to realize about those two men is that there is more to quarterbacking than arm talent, arm strength, throwing off platform, off schedule, all that type of stuff that people use to say Brady's not talented, but then say Rodgers is the most talented they've ever seen, and he's, he makes throws that Brady could only dream of and all this other stuff, which isn't true, by the way. Because when Brady has the opportunity to come through for his team in crunch time, he's going he's gonna to take it every time. We saw it on Sunday. So juxtapose Brady on Sunday afternoon to Rodgers on Saturday night. Yes, Rodgers' special teams failed him. Yes, his, 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 his special teams was trash in that game. And they cost him, they cost the Packers the game for sure. And if their special teams puts forth an average performance, there's a really good chance that Rodgers and the Packers win that game. But it isn't as if Rodgers did not have his opportunities. He was holding the football in the fourth quarter where he, that first drive stalled in the red zone. He's holding the football on a second drive that goes three and out and results in the block punt, which was deep in their own end. And then he's holding the ball for the final three and out of the season, which included multiple incompletions and the incompletion of Devontae Adams in double coverage. And then you look at less than 24 hours later, Brady's team down, what was it, 27 to 3 or something like that? I believe it was 27 to 3 they were trailing in the second half. And all Tampa did was have four consecutive scoring drives to tie that game up. Brady made a huge 50 yard touchdown throw to Mike Evans against the best defensive back in the NFL, Jalen Ramsey. Brady burned him to Mike Evans. What a pinpoint pass, 55 yards for a touchdown with under, I believe it was under four minutes to go, maybe under three minutes to go in that game with the season on the line. Down two scores. They needed to score quick. Brady scored quick. Then when they got the ball back after the fumble by Cam Akers, 
Brady had a couple other key completions on the drive that resulted in a Leonard Fournette touchdown to tie the game. When the opportunity was there, Brady walked through the door. Opportunity knocked, Brady answered, walked on through. Opportunity knocked for Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers was on the phone. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers was sleeping in the recliner. You know what I'm saying? Like, the, we've seen this far too many times from somebody as talented as Aaron Rodgers. It's the same thing I used to get on Peyton Manning for back in the day. Now, I actually like Rodgers more than Manning as a player, but the same reasons I used to get on Manning back in the day was that everybody told me that he was the guy and he would win 75, 70 to 75% of his regular season games, but then win less than half of his playoff starts, most of them at home. And here we are with Rodgers, new generation, same guy. He wins all the time. New coach comes in the floor, 12 wins, 12 wins, 13 wins. Home playoff game, number one seed, number one seed. Loss, loss, loss. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, what do you – I don't know what other evidence we need to see. You know, Tom Brady lost on Sunday, sure. And he didn't play a perfect game because he was not good in the first half of that game, nor, neither was anybody on Tampa Bay for that matter. And it was enough to cost him the game in totality. But when the opportunities presented themselves for him to come back, Brady led the comeback. He led the charge like he always does. Let's not ever talk about Aaron Rodgers in the same breath as Tom Brady again. It's done. It's done. And I love Rodgers. But there's only one GOAT. And he was that guy in Tampa. And I've already talked a lot about that game in Tampa. And even though I do believe Tom Brady's the GOAT, and I believe the argument for Tom Brady being the GOAT is as open and shut as any argument in sports. I have to say, he got awfully lucky in that game. <laughs> I'd be lying my ass off if I said Brady didn't get lucky in that game, y'all. This is, this is, that was score one for the people that say Brady's the luckiest QB ever. I believe that in sports and oftentimes in life, but definitely in sports, Luck is the residue of design. So Brady is lucky. Yes, he got lucky with the tuck rule. And he got lucky on Sunday, right? But we only recognize and remember luck because he was able to capitalize on it and win the game. If Tom Brady doesn't turn these quote-unquote lucky breaks into wins... Nobody really remembers them. You think anybody would remember the tuck rule if Brady lost? That would just be a footnote. Like, man, the Raiders should have had the game won with a minute to go in regulation. But Brady got the ball back. And he led the field goal drive to tie the game and force overtime. But he threw an interception in overtime and the Raiders won. Nobody gives a crap about the tuck rule at that point, right? Who cares about the tuck rule then? But you still have people talking about it to this day. Like, man, I can't believe how lucky that Tom Brady is. Y'all, the tuck rule is only luck because Brady turned it into a victory. He capitalized on it. Same thing on Sunday. He didn't win the game, but he capitalized on those lucky breaks to put his team in position to win the game. And then his defense blew the game. (laughs) So, I mean, it's still impressive. But just think about how many football game I actually as an exercise I actually tried to think of an instance where a team caught a massively lucky break in a big spot and then went on to lose the game so I could reference it on this podcast and I couldn't even think of one that just goes to show you that nobody remembers those instances when that happens nobody remembers it because it doesn't matter So don't talk to me about Brady's luckier than Rodgers or Brady's luck is this and that. Brady's, the only reason you are aware of Tom Brady's luck is because he is the man in crunch time. He's the greatest clutch team sport athlete in American history. And it's only because of that that we are even conscious of all the lucky breaks that he has gotten in the past. Y'all understand that? But yes, 
I will concede that it, it seemed like there was some mystical stuff in the air in Tampa Bay, Florida on Sunday when the Rams fumbled four times. <laughs> they fumbled four times between late in the second quarter through the end of the game. They fumbled four times and and lost all four fumbles and had a 47-yard field goal come up short, which I've never seen in good weather. I've never seen that before. So, I mean, yeah, a lot of breaks was going the Bucks' way in the second half, and they capitalized on it until they didn't. And you have to give the Rams a ton of credit. Matthew Stafford, somebody who I've questioned numerous times on Twitter and on this podcast, came through in a big spot. It's a lot easier to come through when you have uh, an insane uh, a player like Cooper Cup, but he did it. So props to Matthew Stafford. And, and props to the defense. I told you guys last week that we were going to know early on what type of game it was going to be for Tampa if they were able to get pressure on Brady. Which again, now I'm not the first person to say that, but it matters. And Aaron Donald, Von Miller, Leonard Floyd, those guys were getting pressure on Brady consistently all game. It was the most he had been pressured all season, and it's not an accident that they fell behind and ended up losing that game. It was weird, though, that uh, how flat Tampa came out. I mean, they came out looking like they did not know that they had a game that day. That was shocking. For a defending champion playing on their home field in a playoff game to come out that flat, I mean, I would have expected them to come out and maybe get down 10 nothing, or maybe even 14 nothing. But to go down 27-3 to or whatever it was in the second quarter, that was stunning. Uh, and then moving on to the Bills and Chiefs game, which everybody says is the greatest thing they've ever seen. I, I got to tell y'all, man, I had a, I had a pretty – I was ranting on Sunday. I should have recorded this last Sunday. If y'all really wanted to hear me in my element, I was ranting and raving on Sunday about Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Look, Patrick Mahomes is great. I get that. Much like Rodgers, I would kill to have him quarterback the Cleveland Browns. He's great. So everything that I'm about to say, you need to understand that it's through the prism of me consciously being aware of the fact that Mahomes is great. But here's what I don't like. I don't like when people act like Mahomes is the greatest quarterback they've ever seen, that Mahomes is unlike anything we can ever comprehend at the quarterback position I don't like all that. Yes, he's going to four straight AFC Championship games, hosting them all ever since he became a starter. That's an amazing accomplishment. But as I said on the podcast last year when they got beat by Tampa, which I correctly predicted, what we haven't seen from Mahomes is do it with a different cast of characters. Travis Kelsey was putting up 1,000-yard seasons before he ever got there. He was a Pro Bowl caliber tight end before Mahomes ever took a snap as a starter. Tyreek Hill, Pro Bowl kick returner. Fastest dude in the league before Mahomes became the starter. Andy Reid took the Eagles to, I believe, four NFC Championship games and a Super Bowl long before he ever coached Patrick Mahomes. Was having the Chiefs in the playoffs with Alex Smith every year before Mahomes took over. And I said it last year, I'll say it again. I don't know that there's ever been a quarterback to walk into a better situation than what Mahomes walked into. Stable franchise, innovative play caller, head who's a head coach that has a history of taking teams deep into the playoffs multiple years with multiple different quarterbacks. Going all the way back to Brett Favre. Skill positions with, that is equipped with the fastest receiver in the league, who, who, who also has hands, right? And a tight end who's pretty much unguardable. These are things, you know, he, he at the time he walked in with, a, with a, the number one overall pick was his left tackle. He had other offensive tackles that were all pros. This was the setup that Mahomes walked into, and he walked into it as like the, uh, what was it, the 10th pick in the draft. So although Kansas City did trade up to get him, it wasn't like he was facing the pressure of being the number one pick. He got he had no pressure on him. He sat a year behind a consummate professional in Alex Smith. So Mahomes had it was all set up for Mahomes. 
And it still is set up for Mahomes. When people compare the Chiefs to the Golden State Warriors, I think that's a really good comparison, a really good comp. But I think where people mess it up is that they compare Mahomes to Steph Curry. And I understand it because Curry shoots from way out and Mahomes can throw these deep passes and stuff like that. And Mahomes, um, you know, throws from these funky arm angles and stuff, which really don't matter in the grand scheme of football, but everybody's on that right now. So he can, he can throw from these weird arm angles and he can throw falling down and he's got a big arm and he throws bombs. So everybody compares Mahomes to Curry. That's not the comp though. The, yes, Warriors to Chiefs, yes. Curry to Mahomes, no. The person who I left last week's game against Buffalo in awe of is Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill is the Steph Curry of that team. And the reason that is, and I get it, you know, the reason that is, is because it is Tyreek Hill's uncanny ability to stretch a defense that opens up everything else for Kansas City. Granted, their offense would still be potent without Tyreek Hill. Don't get me wrong. And Mahomes would still be great without Tyreek Hill. So I'm not here to trash Patrick Mahomes. But what I'm saying is, is that what takes these guys to an all-time level that we're like, man, four straight AFC championship games, 50 touchdown seasons, MVPs, all this other stuff, it's Tyreek Hill. The only thing that is of the impact that Tyreek Hill has on an offense and then on the defense, you know, directly or indirectly is the threat of Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill's fast. Not only is he fast, but he's also quick. So he's pretty much the quickest player in the league and he's the fastest player in the league. So that's one issue. Deal with that. But then the threat of him being that guy stretches defenses so far that they can't cover everything underneath. They can't cover the running back out of the backfield. They can't cover Kelsey up the seam. They can't cover Miko Hardman or uh, Pringle or whoever the other receiver is, Demetrik Robinson or whomever it might be. Those guys get man coverage or they're not covered at all because the threat of Tyreek Hill is the game changer. That is the thing that takes this team to historic levels. Much like Steph Curry's ability to hit threes from the practice facility is what makes Golden State impossible to guard over the last five to seven years. It's one thing to have a great player that's on offense. It's another thing to have a great player on offense that you have to guard out to half court. You literally have to pick up Steph from half court or you know, just two or three steps inside the half court line. You literally have to guard Steph from there. Because he can hit from there, and everybody knows it. So imagine, up, imagine all of the open looks that opens up for the offense, all of the backdoor cuts that are available, all the open layups that you get, because as a defense, you're stretched all the way out 30, 35 feet from the basket. It's unheard of. We've never seen it in basketball. That's what Tyreek Hill does. I mean, you talk about take a top off a of defense, ain't no top. <laughs> so... This is why you saw Buffalo not guarding Tyreek Hill on that last series. What happened on, on last series of regulation? What happened was Tyreek Hill. They tried to cover him on the series prior that Casey had the ball, and Tyreek Hill burned him for a sixty-yard touchdown when it didn't look like he had the angle. He runs that slant that I referenced earlier, hits the sideline, turns on the afterburners, throws at the peace sign, that, which for some reason he wasn't flagged for, and he gets all the way into the end zone. That was amazing the way that he outran that team, that defense. And so on the next series, Buffalo was so shook by what they saw previously. They said, okay, we got 13 seconds left. We can't let Tyreek Hill beat us, you know, on on a long touchdown. We can't have that happen. So... We are going to play, if you look, look at their coverage, look at, go back and look at the coverage that Buffalo ran. We're going to play 20 yards off of these guys with 13 seconds left. Not even realizing that they only needed a field goal to tie the game. So Hill runs five yards, catches the pass, and then runs 15 yards in literally four seconds. Then on the next play, 
Kelsey's not covered. Because, again, same thing. The defense is so far back, they're not, even, they're not even thinking about guarding these receivers for a field goal, which is insane because that's all they needed to tie the game. And they get 44 yards in two plays, and nobody's even covering them. That's why I can't get – I'm not jumping up and down screaming talking about Pat Mahomes after that game. Like, Grant, I mean, he was incredible in the game. I'm not, again, I know I don't want to sound like a hater – he was incredible in that game. But on that last series with 13 seconds left, anybody could have done that. I'm sorry, y'all. Any quarterback could have done that. Unpopular opinion alert. Mahomes threw to a wide-open Tyreek Hill five yards down the field, and then he threw to a wide-open Travis Kelsey 15 yards up the field or 20 yards up the field, and then he ran another you know, 10 or 15 yards after that, whatever it was. Those two plays – accounted for 44 yards, and he hit two wide-open receivers. Now, you know, in, in Mahomes' defense, he had to hit him. He had to put the ball on him. But those were hardly difficult throws. Those guys weren't covered. I saw uh, Frank Isola say on ESPN today that only one quarterback could have pulled that off for 13 seconds, and that's Patrick Mahomes. Are you out of your mind? <laughs> A lot of quarterbacks can throw to receivers that aren't covered. That's how Baker Mayfield became the number one pick in the draft. So that game, you know, it was incredible. Hats off to the Bills and Josh Allen. Josh Allen deserved to win. He was, I thought, more impressive than Mahomes was, even though Mahomes was very impressive all game, the running and the throwing, and Mahomes was great. But they was throwing the wide open receivers. Josh Allen was throwing the wide open receivers too, but and the defense was worse probably for Kansas City until that last drive. He was throwing to Gabriel Davis. He made Gabriel Davis look like Jerry Rice. It's one thing to throw to Hill and Kelsey. It's another thing to make Gabriel Davis, you know what I'm saying, look like Lynn Swan or somebody. So hats off to, to, to Josh Allen. All right, y'all. That's enough of that. Let's move on to this weekend's games. Cincinnati is going to Arrowhead. Play the Chiefs. A lot of red. A lot of uncovered receivers, apparently, even if you're the best defense in the league. You know what's funny is that when they played, they, these two teams played in week 17. That was earlier this month. <laughs> that was on January 2nd. And Cincinnati beat them in, in Cincinnati. Uh, but the Bengals gave up 28 points in the first half. You can't do that on Sunday. You cannot do that. Um, Jamar Chase was unguardable in that game. That's what was funny is that for all the praise that we throw on, you know, Mahomes, and he's throwing the guys that aren't covered, Jamar Chase was uncoverable in that game a few weeks ago in Cincinnati. And so it's going to take another performance like that from Chase to withstand the Chiefs in Arrowhead. Um, I apologize to Bengals Nation, who they or whatever, I don't even know what who they means. But whatever that means, I apologize to Houday Nation because I did pick against Cincinnati twice. Not because I hated them as a team. I just thought they weren't going to win those games. Um, And they won them both, so they shut me up. But this is a different task, going into Arrowhead and beating Patrick Mahomes, who's never lost a playoff game to anybody other than Tom Brady. Um, This is going to be a challenge, unlike the wish that I think that they've seen before. In fact, I know they haven't seen anything like this before. Even though they played Kansas City and beat them a few weeks ago, um, you have to be concerned with the fact that Joe Burrow got sacked nine times last week. And even though Kansas City's defense is not great, they can get to the quarterback a little bit. You know Chris Jones and Frank Clark can get to the quarterback a little bit. Tyron Matthew, we don't know what his status is for Sunday. It's still up in the air. But nine sacks is insane. And... We know Steve Spagnuolo likes to dial up the blitzes. Joe Burrow is good enough to overcome that, so Spags has to be prudent and judicious with how he blitzes. But I can expect a few third-down sacks putting an end to a few Cincinnati drives on Sunday. Joe Mixon and Vince cousin, uh, my cousin Vince Hicks, who was on last week, he touched on this. Joe Mixon has to have a big game against Kansas City for them to have a shot. I mean, you just can't have the Chiefs running around with the ball for 30, 35 minutes in the game. You can't have 
You know, you can't get into a shootout and expect to win on the road in the playoffs. That stuff's just not going to happen. So, if you're going to have any hope, Joe Mixon has to leave his fingerprints and leave his mark on this game. And I think he has the ability to do it. But again, it's you know, you know Kansas City's going to score points. And as horrific as the Chiefs defense looked last week, you have to believe that their pass rush is going to be good enough to get to Burrow enough to hold down Cincinnati. The line is seven and a half. I guess because it's, because Kansas City's defense is so bad, I'm going to take Cincinnati to cover. But the Chiefs are going to win this game, and they're going to go to the third straight Super Bowl. I didn't think they could do it. Going to three straight Super Bowls is really hard to do. Um, even though the Patriots did it a few years ago, prior to that, I don't know when the last team was to do it. Probably the Patriots. But it's it's really, really difficult to do. And this thing really is Kansas City's to lose at this point. I mean, they are the overwhelming favorite, no matter who they play in the NFC. And they're seven-and-a-half-point favorites over these young, plucky Bengals from Cincinnati. I mean, if they lose, it's going to be a colossal failure for them, which, by the way, Pat Mahomes has looked like trash in his two Super Bowl appearances. I know everybody wants to crown him. He looked like garbage last year against Tampa Bay, and he looked like garbage the year before against San Francisco um, up until the last six minutes of the game when he threw a bomb to Tyreek Hill, who managed to get open again. <laughs> like, and, you know, whatever. Like, he, he made a play, but – Mahomes was not impressive in that game. Anybody that says he was is lying. But I think Kansas City wins. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I've picked against Kansas City plenty of times over the years. And, uh, you know, sometimes it made me look smart like last year. Sometimes it's burned me like last week. So even though I think Cincinnati's capable of winning this game, I, I just don't see it happening. Uh, everything is set up for Kansas City to to roll back into the Super Bowl in Los Angeles. I just don't think – the Bengals' defense is quite good enough to slow down Kansas City enough. And I mean, if this game was in Cincinnati or on a neutral field, obviously I'd feel much better about it. But it's going to be hard, man. It's going to be hard to to overcome the Chiefs in this environment. And, uh, and they have so much big game experience at this point. And this is still all new for Cincinnati and Zach Taylor. I, I just don't see it happening for the Bengals. So... Come at me, Cincinnati. Prove me. If they, if they prove me wrong, by all means, come at me. Come get your boy. Trash talk me, whatever, whatever. Do whatever you need to do. But that's just how I'm seeing it at this point. It's going to be hard to pick against Kansas City. Now with Buffalo out, with Brady out, it's going to be tough. So we'll see how this, uh, this weekend unfolds. But I'll take Cincinnati to cover. I'll take KC to win. Moving to L.A., SoFi Stadium, which I've been to. Very nice very nice joint. It's uh, it's now going to be home to two of the last three football games of the season. It's going to be home to the NFC Championship game and the Super Bowl in two weeks. Uh, the Rams and Niners. Uh, my man Terry Palmer, friend of the show. He's from St. Louis, so he's kind of a quasi-Rams fan by his own admission. He told me that the Rams are going to blow out the 49ers on Sunday. I'm not seeing that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not seeing a blowout. The Rams are favored by, by three and a half. I'm not seeing a blowout. Uh, the Rams have actually been owned by the 49ers. Uh, if the 49ers own two things, it's Aaron Rodgers and the Rams. That's what, they, that's what they own. So this is set up quite nicely for the boys by the bay. The Niners have actually uh, been, I mean, they've been a hot football team of late. Uh, well, they played the Rams earlier in the year. I think they were like 2-4 and four or 2-5 and five when they played the Rams the first time on Monday night in San Francisco, and they whooped the Rams. Uh, they won that game 31-10. to 10. And they kind of did, you know, mostly whatever they wanted to do. They got They got them down early. They got the Rams down early, and Stafford threw two picks in the first quarter, one of them being a pick six, and it was all bad. They were down bad in L.A. And then, of course, just a few weeks ago, 
They played the Rams in L.A. If the Rams win this game, they put the 49ers out of the playoffs. The Rams managed to get out to a 17 to nothing lead in this game. Much like the lead they held against Tampa Bay last week, it disappeared, right? Then it was 17 to 3, then it was 17 to 10, then it was 17 to 17, and eventually the Niners would win on a field goal in overtime 27-24. In that game, Debo Samuel was dynamic and Jimmy Garoppolo led probably the best late game drive of his career perhaps up until the one he did last week in Lambeau Field. Again, I talked about the Niners' confidence, I talked about their swagger, and I talked about Debo Samuel and George Kittle. Again, I'll say it, football players of the highest order. Those two dudes, they make up the identity of this football team. And a defense that gets timely stops, the San Francisco defense, they, it seems like they're always getting home on third down. They get really Timely sacks, timely stops. Now, meanwhile, the Rams defense with Donald and Miller has the capacity to make Jimmy G have a very long afternoon. And as we talked about last week and as we talked about the week before, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to throw him onto the other team, and he did it in both games. Jimmy, it's just a matter of when he's going to throw that horrendous pass. When is he going to do it? It's not if, it's when. If he throws a horrendous pass in the fourth quarter, the Rams got a pretty good chance of winning. If he throws a horrendous pass in the second quarter, the Niners have plenty of of opportunity to come back from it. Cooper Cup was unstoppable in both games. Um, I don't, I mean, he defies description, Cooper Cup, the way he's able to get open and catch everything um, and run after the catch. I mean, he's a total package at receiver. If the Niners can somehow figure out a way to slow him down, I don't know if the Rams have a counterpunch. But lucky for them, I don't, I don't think they're going to slow Cooper Cup down. I think you can just pencil him in for nine catches and 100 yards. The question is, is he going to be in the end zone holding the football? Um, I think that either team could win this game. I think that, uh, you know, neither, I mean, I said, the, I said the Bengals were capable of winning. I really don't see the Bengals winning. I could see either one of these teams winning in the NFC. But I got to give it to the 49ers, y'all. I've been, an, I've been on the Niners for a long time. I said it two weeks ago. I've been on the Niners for years. I mean, literally years. I mean, go back. I had them winning the Super Bowl, I think, before the season two years ago when they ended up going to the Super Bowl and losing to Mahomes and the Chiefs. Um, I had them blowing out the Chiefs in that game, as a matter of fact. And they were handily handily winning that game until midway through the fourth quarter. I, I, I've had San Francisco, I think I had them, my, they were my pick to get back to the Super Bowl last year, and I said, before the season, and I said, watch out for the, those guys in Tampa Bay, but I had the 49ers, I think, rematching against the Chiefs in the, in the Super Bowl prior to last season. And, of course, the Niners had this season from hell with all these injuries. So this year, it's not a shock to me to see them a little bit healthier and playing in the NFC Championship game. This is who they've always been. I believe in this football team. I do. I believe that they are a championship-level team. And so, yeah, I'm going to pick them to beat the Rams again. They seem to have the Rams number. Uh, we've debunked the myth on our website in the past about how difficult it is to beat a team three times in a season. Um, I think teams in that situation, I believe are 14 and eight, I believe is a stat. So yeah, you can beat a team three times in a year. I think they can do it again. Um, Matthew Stafford gets all the credit in the world for doing what he did last week. But I do believe that, um, I do believe that, that this is a little bit of a different situation. I believe that the Niners will have a, a ton of fans there, even though they're trying to limit the amount of tickets that are being sold to San Francisco fans. I believe there's going to be a ton of Niners fans in the building. Um, I'm not going to all of a sudden believe that Matthew Stafford is just this world beater just because he beat up Kyler Murray and he caught uh, the Bucks flat-footed. I mean, I, he, he played great against Tampa, so I don't want to take that away from him. But I need to see more from him before I'm ready to crown him. You know what I mean? And uh, and Jimmy Garoppolo, say what you want about him, but he can make timely throws. He he can lead timely drives, and he's got he's got those guys, man. He's got Kittle and he's got Debo, and he's got a defense 
that makes timely stops. I'll take the 49ers to win and cover, and we'll have a rematch from two years ago, the Kansas City Chiefs, the San Francisco 49ers in the Super Bowl in Los Angeles. Should be a lot of fun. Um, wouldn't be shocked to see the Rams there, but I got I to gotta roll with the Niners, man. They're, they're my kind of football team. They're tough. They're physical. They play good defense. They hit you in the mouth. I mean, call me old school if you want, but, I mean, I love that in a football team. These teams that just zip the ball up and down the field, a lot of times they don't really have the, the guts. They don't have it on the inside. Kansas City does, so I don't want to make it sound like I'm saying the Chiefs don't have that because they whatever that it is that's on the inside that makes you a tough football team, the Chiefs have it. But the Niners have it, and I think they have enough of it to get past the Rams, who, again, they've beaten twice this year, and – I mean, just look at what the Niners have done recently, y'all. They beat the Bengals in Cincinnati. Then they blew out Atlanta. They lost to Tennessee narrowly on the road. They clobbered the Texans. And then with their season on the line, they came back from 17 down to beat the Rams in L.A. They went to Dallas and beat the best defense in the league in Dallas. Right? Then went on the road to Lambeau and beat everybody's MVP and the perfect team in the Green Bay Packers. They beat them on the road again. This team's got something cooking, man. I don't know what it is. I I just think it's confidence. I just think it's bravado. I think it's toughness. I think it's intelligence. I think it's playing smart, complimentary football. And that's the kind of stuff that'll get you to a championship. So we shall see. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, I just had a lot to say. I had a lot to ramble about from last week's epic, incredible, almost indescribable slate of games. I hope we get games that are half as good this weekend. Um, thank you all for listening. Anybody that shouted me out for a happy birthday last week, I appreciate it. My birthday was last Sunday, so thank you all. I appreciate you all looking out for your boy. And um, it's going to be some more fun games this weekend, you all. I'm looking forward to it. Get at us. Let us know what your predictions are. Tell us why we're right. Tell us why we're wrong. Just tell us anything. Tell a friend to tell somebody to tell somebody to tell your mama. Okay? Hip-hop sports support. We'll catch y'all later for Super Bowl Sunday, y'all. Thanks for listening. Peace.